This is episode number 70 with clinical therapist Holly Essler. Welcome to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. My name is Ryan McGuire, your host. Each week I bring you a guest or a message that will help you along your own pursuit of happiness as well as following me along my own. Welcome back to the show, Holly Essler. It's been a while. She joined me for episode number 11, Lifting the Stigma on Mental Health, which I highly suggest you check out if you have not already after this episode. It's such a wonderful, eye-opening episode all about mental health. But in our conversation today, it is purely focused on grief and the grieving process. Now, I know I have a wide range of topics when it comes to my podcast, and some may or may not be of interest to you, but this is an episode I really believe that everybody should listen to. Whether you are currently grieving, you have been grieving, or know someone that is, this conversation was just so helpful in so many ways. Holly does a great job of explaining what the grieving process actually is and all the different steps and how everybody has their own timeline when it comes to grieving. Now, this is a topic that can be really hard to understand because it's just different for everybody. And unfortunately, this is something that we all deal with probably multiple times over our lifetime. And my conversation with Holly will equip you to handle all of these scenarios so much better. I can't give Holly enough credit, not just for coming on my podcast again, but for doing this every day, helping so many people through their grieving process. And as we all know, with the pandemic these last few years, there's been a lot to grieve about. If you've listened to my podcast before, you've probably heard how I lost my best friend, Coda. I do talk about that in this episode. And I actually just recently lost my grandfather as well. So if you are grieving, just know that you are not alone. You're more than welcome to reach out to me and consider going to seek a clinical therapist in your area. But as tough and sometimes uncomfortable as this topic is to talk about, I am really excited to bring all of you my conversation with Holly Essler. So without further ado, here's Holly. Hello. Holly. Long time no see. I know. It's been a while. It's been a while. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing really well. I cannot believe I was looking earlier today. You were episode 11 for me, and I think we're hitting 70 or something now. Oh too, my so. gosh! <laughs> you had a lot of. You've been busy. It sounds like. Yeah, probably too busy. Honestly, um, <laughs> there's there's a lot happening. All good. All good. I I don't know why I, I feel the need to keep my plate so full. Maybe that's another discussion for another day. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been. Um, it's been super busy. Works, work is busy. Work is good. The good. podcast is keeping me busy. I love it. And uh, yeah. And as you know, I reached out to you um, to get you on this podcast, getting married and I will be getting married just a few hours away from where you are in Arizona. So congrats in Sedona. Is that in right? Sedona. Yeah. Oh, yeah. beautiful. Yeah. Really excited. Really, really excited about that. I um, love Sedona. We had our engagement photos done in Sedona on Cathedral Rock. So oh, I'm yeah. all for everything. So don't, it's just beautiful. You can't go wrong. 
It's a, it's a really, really beautiful place. I, I went once for a couple of days. She's never been. Um, and since I went, I think it was in 2016 or so. Um, it's one of those places that has like kept calling me back. Like you got to go back to Sedona. Mm-hmm. That was so much fun. There's more to see. There's more hikes to do and just the fun activities. I know we'll do like the pink Jeep tours. I think yeah. we'll do like an ATV and stuff. So it's going to be a really fun time with, with friends and family and pretty, pretty magical. The, um, the enchantment resort is supposed to be pretty top notch. I'm pretty excited about that. So, um, there's, there's honestly, it's, um, we are recording this in February wedding in September and the decision fatigue is real. It is very, very real for a freaking <laughs> I could wedding. See that. Yes, I could see that. Is you just right? You just want the day to be there, and but it's a lot leading up to it. Yes, it's, there's a lot of decisions, and I don't. Yeah. I, this is my first wedding, hopefully my last wedding. But like, <laughs> I imagine a destination wedding is a little tougher too, and yeah. there's a lot more decisions to be made. That just you know, we're not there. We can't meet people in person. We're hoping for the best, and some decisions we're making and. On top of that, looking for flights or trying to help other people out because, you know, it's a destination for them too. So, um, yeah, not complaining, just, uh, just staying busy. That's for sure. How are you doing? You doing okay? I've been good. No, I feel like busy too. I mean, I added another clinician to my practice in April, I believe is when she joined and just put out feelers again, you know, for somebody else. It's just, I, I feel like this wave where I thought, Oh, we're just busting at the seams. Like things will slow down, but it just really hasn't slowed down. Um, so it's, it's a good problem to have, but I've just been Mm -hmm. super busy with work, but, um, also like a good balance is I've been taking more like longer weekends. Like I've been really trying to prioritize self-care. Um, so it's funny that like Sedona, so we went to Flagstaff. So just a bit North of Sedona, which is funny because it's such a beautiful, warm place, but you go a few, you know, another hour or so North and um, we went skiing. So we've been doing a lot of skiing in um, Flagstaff, which it's kind of a funny thing to think that you would go skiing in Arizona, but um, no, it's that's, that's what I've been doing is I've, took up skiing, been doing more of that and trying to just find a better balance. And I think that's I've been doing wonderful. a job. Yeah. That's wonderful. I have a funny quick story about that. So when I went to Sedona a few years ago, I was with my buddy yep. and we ended up, the, the trip was based around going to Havasu Falls and doing the hike. And uh-huh. so after Sedona, we drove through Flagstaff. <laughs> I had to stop there at the store and then go over to Havasu Falls to get ready for that hike the next day neither of us were expecting a whiteout. We went from 80 degrees in Sedona to a blizzard condition within a couple of hours. And I had never seen someone freak out so much behind the wheel, like not knowing how to drive in snow. (laughs) Yeah. It's nuts though. You wouldn't expect it, but it really does make a, make a difference. It really does. Cause like (laughs) when you see pictures of Arizona and you hear about it, it's the heat, it's the desert. You know, that's just what it's known for. You don't really know about the mountains and the snow. It's uh, (laughs) it's, it's pretty cool though. Yeah. But no, I'm glad things are going well and things are picking up. I mean, you know, is that a good thing or a bad thing? I guess. I mean, I guess it's good for business, but uh, I don't know. Yeah, I still don't know. a crazy, still a crazy world we live in. How is um is the Phoenix Scottsdale area? Is it is it growing? Is that one of the areas in the country that's growing? 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, my husband and I, we bought it. We bought a house last, last April. I think it was too. Yeah. So a lot going on in April, but, um, and we bought like, I mean, we thought we were buying at, you know, like the top of the market time too, but I mean, it's just continued to shoot up and mm. housing availability and it's just, it's crazy. And, mm. um, Phoenix definitely growing, but I would say even on the outskirts, like Gilbert Chandler are really growing. It's, it's a good thing, but it's tough to see too of like apartment complexes raising their prices and people having a really hard time or, um, you know, even for us, I mean, finding our, our home too, it was, it was just nuts as there'd be four people waiting in their cars, the showing after you to see the house. Um, it was just crazy and offers, you know, going, you know, 80, hundred over all cash. It was just, mm-hmm. it's competitive. So it was really, um, really difficult, but our, our realtor was amazing, but that in itself too, was just, it hasn't slowed down. So, um, just another world. I don't know. That's how it is here in yeah. Raleigh. There's, there's some crazy video I saw on the news, um, that my fiance Kristen sent me that was just like 30 cars outside to go see a house. It's like, what the hell? Yeah. And uh, yeah. So the situation we're in is uh, it's a really, really good one. We both bought a house before the pandemic and she is moving in tomorrow. So she will be set. She will be selling her house for basically straight up cash and moving into my house, not having to buy a house. So she's in the perfect position. Awesome. I was like, this is, I was like, enjoy this. You're going to get a yeah. bidding war for your house. This is I gonna was going to be... say, yeah, the, the home values, it's, it's crazy that how, how much, you know, you've, you're going to get from, from selling and that's good though. Good for you guys. Since yeah, you know, life has its funny way of sometimes just aligning things just where they need to be and works in your favor. It really does. Yeah. Last time we talked, I was single and now here I am talking about <laughs> getting married. Really strange. It's a really strange I'm life. Changes, yeah. But, uh, no, I, I'm very, very happy to get you back on. I'd have you on once a week if I could. Um, <laughs> what you do and the knowledge you bring with uh, mental health is is huge. It affects everybody. Um, it's still one of my favorite episodes I've ever done. One of my most enlightening conversations I've ever had was with you uh, about mental health and just... I don't know. We dove deep, but then again, at the same time, we only skimmed the surface too of what mental health entails and how it affects so many people. Mm -hmm. And here we are. I mean, it seems like the pandemic is kind of lifting a little bit, but we're still there. Still a lot of people dealing with a lot of, a lot of issues. And as we record this, now we have something else in the world going on over in Ukraine. It's just, you know, it's something that affects everybody somehow, some way. And, um, yeah, I, I'm I'm excited and not excited at the same time to talk about the topic today mm-hmm. of grief because it's um it's it's a tough subject to talk about, but it is something that gets every single one of us at some point in life, if not multiple times. And uh, I kind of want to lift the curtain a little bit with you on grief and going through it and others going through it and. Um, I remember after talking with you is probably just a few weeks after, um, I lost my, my best friend it was my dog Coda. <laughs> some people are dog people. Some people aren't. And if you're a dog person, you will completely understand mm-hmm. when you lose your best buddy. She was my best friend. You know, when I was single, when I was moving all that stuff, that dog was with me for nearly 16 years. And, uh, yeah, when they get ripped away from you, it's, um, 
I had never experienced anything like that mm-hmm. and uh, the hurt and the pain. And not only that, it's like how I reacted to it. I never screamed like that before. I never cried like that before. Um, it, it, it doesn't go away fast either. Um, I have a new admiration of people who deal with grief and going through pain. Um, you know, more often than what I've gone through, I think I've been pretty fortunate and I do know there's a lot of people that have had worse situations than me. So with your expertise, I would love to talk about grief and grieving. Let's, um, let's make people feel a little better. Let's help people understand it a little better, including myself. And, uh, I think we're going to start this off with a simple question. What is grief? Yeah. Grief is, I feel like grief is a a normal reaction to an abnormal amount of stress. Um, you know, grief really is, it's, it's defined in some ways too differently, depending on the person, because we grieve so differently as, you know, human to human and, and certain, uh, situations can be defined differently as far as grief, but, you know, grief is one of those things that it's an, it's an essential form of healing, but 99% of the time when we were forced into grieving. So it's also one of those processes with healing that we just don't want to feel we're not ready for it. Um, even when we are, it's, it's just uncomfortable. So, you know, grief would be that one thing. If, if I'm working with my clients, I tell them it's, it's appropriate. It's, you know, normal. It just, it's still uncomfortable to, to do. Yeah. You know, you're right. There's a lot of times that we aren't prepared for it and mm-hmm. there's times that we are. And mm-hmm. so I can only compare it to like myself. Yes. I've lost grandparents and I just recently lost one. That's another reason why I want to get you on. Yeah. Um, but you know, like I said, the biggest one that hit me was Louis losing my Coda, my, my best friend. And, um, that's something I kind of saw coming for two to three months. I would say she got sick. It was constant runs to the vets, trying different medications, trying different foods. I, I tried everything I possibly could under the sun. What, what is someone supposed to tell themselves, if anything at all, in those last few months where you kind of know it's coming? You try to like mentally prepare yourself for when it happens. Like, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. And then when it happens, you're not okay. Um, mm-hmm. As much as you try to prepare yourself and give yourself a pep talk. What are people, what are some things that people can kind of tell themselves if they do see it coming? Yeah. So the biggest part of that would be being self-compassionate towards ourselves and being kind. Um, a lot of times not even really attaching a judgment to feeling that emotion. Um, so much of grief too, is you hear a lot of somebody who, you know, just to be strong or, you know, wow, you're so strong when you handle that. And it's almost kind of like a badge of honor that somebody wears, but deep down, we're not really healing ourselves if we're putting on that face of being strong and there's appropriate time and moments definitely for that. Um, but I, I think I would really stress the part about feeling or kind of riding out that roller coaster of grief. Um, you know, we can tell ourselves, you know, it's, it's going to be fine. And, and maybe on some days that's, that's appropriate and it works, but others, it might just be, I'm having a really tough day right now. And I need to acknowledge those feelings, um, see what's coming up, but also give them some room to breathe and for us to explore them. One thing that you see a lot with, um, those that maybe hold on to grief or have a really, really tough time. Well, I don't want to say letting go of something, but I'll say moving through something is, 
is by pushing down those feelings, by pushing down those emotions. I'm fine. I've got it all together. I'm going to put on a strong face. Um, typically, that's where we see a lot of that stuff get built up. And, you know, our bodies essentially want to heal. So in some way, shape or form, it's going to come out. Um, you know, when we grieve in our own timelines, we have that control rather than our brain or our body, you know, coming out in ways where we're irritable or, you know, we're taking our stress out on somebody else. Um, I think I would stress that the most is just to be compassionate, to not uh, attach a judgment to an emotion that you're feeling because it's 100% human what we're feeling uh, in that moment with grief. For the people that tend to push it down, and I know a few of them. <laughs> What do you tell them? Um, you know, I, I would look at it and I would, I would almost just explore that, you know, why am I pushing it down? You know, what's holding me back from feeling this emotion? Um, you know, it's almost maybe even tied to something of, you know, how is grief or big emotions modeled or, you know, showed to me, whether it's growing up or even just with society, right? Of, you know, well, you rub some dirt on it and you move on. Um, and, you know, we're recognizing probably too, if it doesn't feel good and I'm not moving past that is, you know, maybe I really need to explore that as to why am I putting on such a strong face right now? Um, typically too is grief, they say, and, I, and what I say typically is because it's so different for each person, but they look at and say there's stages of grief. So um, there's there's the five stages of grief and it comes from um, a Kubler-Ross grief cycle. Um, so two, two men that created this grief cycle, of what's appropriate to grieve. And, and one could argue there's good points to these cycles, but also the biggest thing, again, I want to stress is that it doesn't mean that there is a timeline, nor should we feel like we have to go through each one of these stages or cycles in a certain time frame. We might feel like we're stuck in one. We might move around them a little bit and that's more than okay. Um, but that first one of, of the stages of grief is denial. So typically it, this isn't necessarily the, the case of it didn't happen, but our brain and our body go into survival mode. So denial a lot of times is we're feeling a lot of that numbness. I don't feel the emotions or I can't acknowledge that this happened. So it's not so much pushing it away saying it didn't happen, but our brain and our body are saying, there's a lot of things going on emotionally and physically right now. And the only way that I can think to survive is to go in total survival mode, which kind of turns off some of those, um, you know, that hippocampus in our brain that has a lot of that emotion attached to it. Um, so that's that first stage of, of grief. And the second one is, is anger. And I would more or less define this as a feeling of being lost at sea um, rather than, you know, kind of a punching the wall type of anger, but the anger coming from a place of um, why or how or why me, um, we might look at other people who, well, I've, you know, been such a good person. How come this hasn't happened to somebody who is, you know, a terrible human being as we start to almost kind of get in that comparison place. Um, and then we have bargaining. So it's kind of negotiating our way out of that hurt. Well, if I would just do this, then, you know, I would hope and pray that this could happen. Or if I just do this one thing, you know, will God grant me my wife, you know, a little bit longer to stay in this world with me? And, and we end up finding that we just, we kind of want to negotiate our way out of not feeling that heaviness and that hurt that is part of grief. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. 
My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. And then we have the depression. So um, again, I'll, I'm going to emphasize the appropriate response to this is typically people will say, well, I'm not a depressed person. You know, I don't, I don't have depression. And, and it doesn't even necessarily have to mean that it's a clinical diagnosis other than the heavy feelings that come with those emotions. And this is the one I think I would almost stress more where I say feeling out that roller coaster of emotions because it's going to be up and down. We're going to have days where, you know, I'm functioning, I'm doing, I'm doing okay. And then there's going to be others where we feel like we are, are feeling it all or every little thing is reminding us of that person or that thing that we lost. Um, and this is probably the most, like I said, the most one I would stress about feeling um, just whatever wants to come up without an, a judgment, excuse me, without a judgment attached to that emotion. And then the last one is acceptance, right? And that's where we're kind of stepping out. So acceptance is going to be, it's not even what happened. And I think this is a hard part with people when they, you know, when we come to this phase of acceptance is they say, well, what if I don't want to accept what happened? And Mm -hmm. I say, you don't have to, but it's the reality of what happened is that's the part that we need to to look at and and accept that um, so-and-so isn't here anymore. You know, that's the reality of it. Um, And then one thing I think I would stress the most with this acceptance piece, and this is my kind of flair on on grieving um, in in my therapy with my clients, is I really emphasize the power of the word and. Because in grieving, again, too, we've already put someone in a box of how they're supposed to be grieving, right, by these cycles. But the power of the word and to say, I can use this interchangeably to say, I can have happy and some sad moments throughout the day. It doesn't have to be either or I can feel, maybe I can feel angry that this happened, but relieved at the same time, because my loved one is in a better place. And that would be the biggest thing I would stress is because again, too, we're not putting ourselves in, I should be in this timeline. I should be over this by now, or I'm supposed to be grieving this way is it allows us to feel multiple emotions because there's not just going to be one specific emotion with grieving that, um, that we are going to feel nor that we should feel. So just to recap, we have the five stages of grieving. It's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. I have a few questions based on those. Sure. Um, first and foremost, are they always in order or do no. they come through? They are not. No, no, no specific timeline. Um, you might bounce back and forth too, you know, between a few of them. Um, sometimes I might have a client skip one. Well, I haven't gotten angry. And it's, you know, maybe it's an emotion that we've suppressed. We haven't allowed ourselves to feel that, which again is a more than appropriate response um, to feeling that way. But definitely no, no timeline that we should have to go through, nor it's saying, well, I've been at acceptance for a week now, what? you know, is, is we can hop back and forth. Okay. And with your experience, which one do people seem to struggle with the most and perhaps why? Hmm. You know, that's, that's a good question. And I'm trying to think of, you know, an over kind of arcing response to that other than it depends on the client. But I, I would say it would honestly go between 
depression, possibly, I don't know, depression, anger, acceptance. Again, too, I know that doesn't answer it right on the, the nail on the head, but if we were to look at grieving as far as the loss of a loved one, there's so many emotions that also come with that. So um, I, I can talk a little bit about, you know, EMDR down the road, but there's a lot of deep rooted things that uh, maybe it's guilt, shame, or blame. And if those are certain themes that we're seeing in um, someone grieving, or, you know, they, they didn't have a good relationship with somebody, or there wasn't closure in a relationship, you know, it was maybe a mom or dad that, that passed away and they didn't have a good relationship with them as you're looking at multiple tiers and levels, as far as healing, because there were questions that weren't answered. Um, so in order even for that client to fully move through these kind of healing stages, there might need some work, um, or might need to be some work that needs to be done kind of with healing some of the past stuff that has happened. Um, so maybe that would be, maybe it would be acceptance is the one that we see the, the toughest with, because if we don't feel like we fully move through that, you know, how can we really come to terms with what's happened? Mm, I can definitely relate to that. I want to get back uh, just a moment, but uh, a question that I have here, I'm really curious on what, what you say yeah. is what do people need who are grieving? I feel like people need someone's presence, maybe just to be seen. Um, maybe it's just to be heard too. It's, it's one of those things with grief that people are uncomfortable with it, that, um, they don't know what to say. A lot of times there's nothing that they can say, right. That's going to make us feel better. Um, one of the best, I think, sentences that, you know, I, I could imagine a client saying is when she was going through, through a loss, she said, I just wish they wouldn't say anything at all and just say, I'm here for you because sometimes it comes off as ignorance or it can come off as being kind of rude, right? Well, you know, just, you know, with, with the loss of a pet, I have two dogs at home. So I fully, you know, stand with how you feel, but that we'll just get another one. You just get a puppy to fill. No, you don't, you know, right? it's not that easy. So mm. I think there's that part too, what they need to hear is just, I'm, I'm here for you, or, you know, I'm sorry that that happened. Um, would you like to talk about that? I'm here when you're ready to talk about it. Um, sometimes it like when I say it's just the presence, maybe it's just the presence of somebody when we're feeling that loss or feeling lonely, because we realistically know that, you know, there isn't anything that you can say that might make me feel better. Um, because it is a process just unfortunately that we have to go through in life. Do you have another tagline response or two that people can kind of go back to when they know someone who's dealing with something, or would that be the one that you would recommend? I feel like that would be the one that I would recommend of um, being seen and being heard, I, I think would just be the two biggest things um, being seen in the sense of I'm, I'm a human, I have emotions and it's okay. And being heard in the fact of, if I need to talk, I'm here for you. Um, even if it's even in that sense of sharing memories in a lot of the grief work that I do um, clients almost kind of feel uncomfortable. I had one recently where she felt uncomfortable, where she's like, when I talk about my mom, I think 
most people get uncomfortable and sad because she's passed and I lost her. And she said, I, I just like to talk about her. Mm. She was, she was a fun person. We did fun things together. And so there's, I think there's that part too, of just people really want to fill that void that we're feeling. Um, and it's not always appropriate, you know, talk about the good memories that you had just because we want to remember our loved ones. Um, I think that would be maybe another facet of that too, of, um, maybe giving people directions on what helps us grieve the most. So, you know, we can have them appropriately help us. So maybe it's that directness of, I just need you to sit here with me in this moment, or I'm just, I'm just going to share some of the funny things that they did, but you know, I would just love if you just lent me your listening ear. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's that too, of just being a bit direct in how can you help me heal in this moment? It's like uh, when my fiance would come to me just to bitch about something and I give her advice and then she's like, I wasn't asking for advice. I just wanted to bitch about something. Yes. <laughs> what we do is we call those are those toolbox or tissue box moments. Okay. Do you want me to help fix something or is this that tissue box moment where you just want me to sit and share space with you with this? Mm-hmm. And um, that's that, that's actually a good uh, one that we use sometimes in couples counseling where it gives that person kind of like their role of how can you best support me without them being like, I don't need your help right now. Or they go on defense. Well, that's not what I was saying. I knew what I was doing in that scenario, but um, toolbox or tissue box moment is how I like to define those. Okay. Not to get off track, but we have plenty of those moments where (laughs) we're both, we're both fixers. We both like to have a solution and uh, we're both very guilty of that. And it's just like, listen, I wasn't looking for an answer. I just needed to bitch for five minutes. Let's move on. But uh, (laughs) yeah, I figured I'd throw that in there. But um, there's a few directions I want to go here. Um, One of the things I'm thinking about, you see in the movies, you see TV shows, and sometimes in real life, I'm sure, is when you have a buddy or family member or something like that, and someone comes over and knocks on your door, and you're like, "Hey, let's get out of the house. Let's go do something. Let's let's stay occupied." Is that a good idea, or is that a bad idea? Yeah, I, I would say again, too, it really depends on the person or um, again, to us helping give them direction, what is helpful versus hurtful at that time, because we do want to also be able to, um, you know, be respectful and, and um, honor someone's boundaries when they are grieving. But I definitely do think that there is a time and space for, um, like I said, feeling those heavy emotions and riding that roller coaster, but not staying on it 24 seven is we do want to give ourselves that permission to, um, to have fun or to go, you know, spend some time with a friend that might be something there too, of where some of that unresolved guilt or shame might come in of, you know, I just lost something important to me or someone important to me. You know, I shouldn't be out right now at a, you know, basketball game with my friends, you know, that kind of thing. So, so that would be something also of, um, a few different layers to explore, but I do think it's good that, you know, we, we allow ourselves and give ourselves that permission to say, you know, I can continue to live my life too, and have these, these happy moments. That's where that power of the word and comes in too, is, you know, I can go out with my friends and, you know, maybe celebrate someone's birthday, you know, and I can still feel, you know, sad in those appropriate moments, you know, for, for grieving the loss of somebody or something. Mm, I really want to get to guilt here in just one minute. I have a few, <laughs> I have a few bullet points with that. I really sure. want to talk about that, but uh, I don't know. Are you familiar with who Jesse Itzler is? Does he sound familiar? 
I don't know. The name's not ringing a bell. Do you know who Sarah Blakely is? The founder of Spain. Yeah, that's her husband. Okay. And so he does a lot of motivational stuff. He's, I like his stuff. I think he's a good dude. And um, it was probably about a year, maybe if not so more so ago, he posted something on his Instagram that said something to the, to the fact where it's like, you'll never forget the people that showed up when you needed them most. And uh, I, that was 100% true. I tagged my friends and my fiance that stopped at my house when I was dealing with that and they didn't want anything from me. They just stopped over. They brought me coffee. They brought me dinner and they just sat with me Mm -hmm. and I will not, he was absolutely right. I'll never forget the people that knocked on my door. And so Mm -hmm. for anybody else who's listening to this and knows someone that's going through something show up. It means, it means a lot. I remember, um, I think it was back in October, November, Kristen's one of Kristen's good friends, her dog passed. She's like, I don't know what to do. I said, just go ring the doorbell and go, go be there because I'll never forget. I tell you what, when you go through something like this, you'll never forget how you felt and who made you feel what way. And, uh, you have a better understanding of what people are going through. So I just recommend it show up, even if, you know, they're, they're not in a good space or whatever, just be there for them, ring their doorbell, say hello. And, uh, they'll never, ever forget that. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, that's, that's great. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, so yeah, I really want to hit, hit on guilt here. Cause this is something I dealt with a lot and I, does it like kind of like seep in and out of these five different steps? Cause I feel like it intertwines with like some of them. Cause where is guilt? Because yeah. the, the thing I had the hardest time with was, I would say a week or two later when I started to have an okay moment, when someone made a joke that made me actually kind of laugh or when I saw something funny, I wanted to laugh, but there was something deep down inside me that said, I need to be sad right now. I shouldn't be laughing. Even though that was funny, don't laugh because Mm -hmm. I feel like that is a disrespect to what I'm going through and the loss of my loved one. And that was like the hardest thing. It was weeks, if not months of constantly feeling like "Ah, I wanted to laugh. (laughs) I wanted to laugh. And then I pulled myself back in like, no, that's not, don't laugh. That's you're going through a hard time right now. Like, what was going on in my head for me to feel that? Sure. sure. Um, I can give you, you know, the, um, I don't want to say on the surface answer, but you know, there's, or, or going rather in depth of, you know, the possibilities of how complex of humans, you know, we are and how much, um, how much may be going on internally inside. So, you know, part of that too, is that, that guilt of just, um, I don't know if it's something of, you know, will this, will this make me forget this experience or, um, have I given enough emotion to this experience that like, again, too, it's almost that timeline where it's not that we have somebody saying, okay, you've given, you know, X amount of your emotions and time to this. Now you're allowed to move on is we don't have that, um, kind of explicit response, you know, to, to something that, that typically with a lot of things, maybe we do, right. Is, you know, a happiness scale or, you know, that kind of thing. So, so I think there's that too, if we end up feeling a bit lost because we don't, we don't know what the appropriate timeline might be. Um, and maybe it's again to that, that feeling of, um, is it too soon if I'm not grieving or showing outwardly 
that I'm sad? Is that giving somebody else the wrong response? Like I didn't, I didn't care or, you know, how you'll hear people say, well, you know, so-and-so didn't even shed a tear at, you know, Mm -hmm. the funeral. Well, maybe that person is, is stuck in that numbness denial phase. They haven't even began to move out of that yet. Um, So, so there's that perspective maybe of, as to why I felt so guilty, um, that I wasn't able to fully move through that, or maybe I was trying to push myself through a stage and I wasn't quite ready for it yet. Hmm. Um, the deeper perspective of that and EMDR is used in some grief work. Um, not saying that this is for you. I'm saying overarching for clients that might have a really difficult time with grieving um, is maybe there's something in their past that that was triggered by the loss of someone or something. And I keep saying something because as many of us know, like grieving even situations, um, the loss of things, right? With COVID grieving friendships, I have a lot of clients where we grieve friendships that have lost. So, um, you know, when we have a really difficult time processing something, it might be that this is a really triggering event that kind of domino affected a few other things from our past, right? Mm. So what I would do with that client is I would probably explore that facet of feeling guilty and in what areas of their their lives, whether that was childhood, adolescent years, did you also see that theme presenting itself? And maybe we need to do some processing and work around that in order to fully help us heal also in, in our present day adult years. Okay. Yeah. I remember um, just over a month ago, it's on my Instagram. I was watching uh, Running Wild with Bear Grylls. I love that show. I love to see the outdoors and the crazy yeah. stuff he does. And uh, I, I was just randomly watching during the workday and Joseph Gordon-Levitt was on. I posted this on my Instagram and he talks about how when his brother died and uh, he had this quote and I was like, this is boom, spot on. That's why I had to post this. He says, you feel guilty for not feeling bad sad or laughing. And when he said that, I was just like, it's one of those things where, I mean, I had to record it. I was like, hold on. That's like, that's, that's literally exactly how I felt guilty for not feeling bad after a while. And then for laughing, you know, it's just, um, maybe that's where, why you said the acceptance phase is kind of hard to get out of because Mm -hmm. there's that guilt or there's something that kind of will grab you and pull you right back into it. And, uh, I, I couldn't get out of that for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, I love that quote that, that does really hit the nail on the head, especially about how different the journey is, you know, for each one of us. And, and I think that's part of that roller coaster though, too, of like, maybe on some days I'm having the really good days where I can laugh, maybe on others, I'm struggling with that. And I would just, um, you know, I tell my clients, I'm like, just really turn it inwards to what does my mind need or my body need in this moment. And maybe I do need to, maybe I need to laugh and allow myself to appreciate some of the the good or funny moments that we had, or maybe this is one of those sentimental moments that I can allow myself to feel the emotion. I think so much with sadness, um, along with happiness, it's, it's one of those emotions in our life that it's important to feel it, which it sounds very odd saying that because it's one of the emotions that we push away the the most, Hmm. but you know, sadness is part of feeling happy without either, or we wouldn't, we wouldn't have that. Right. So, um, so I think there's this fear also of just like, it's uncomfortable. We don't like to be uncomfortable and feeling sadness, um, along with other, the, the depth that come with the emotions of sadness, it's just uncomfortable. We don't like it. So, um, so that might be something too, of just kind of turning it inwards, giving myself more self-compassion that day. Maybe I can, can I give myself permission to feel sad? Is this Mm. appropriate? 
as weird as this sounds, I want to be vulnerable here. I think I hit hit on this uh, a moment ago. Like I lost a pet. Like I said, I keep saying that's the biggest one to be, but I can imagine if it was a family member or someone who's around constantly, I felt that for a few months, if I were to laugh or smile or have a good time, if they were watching me, they would have felt insulted that I'm moving on. Okay. That is, that is kind of how I felt. If, if they were here seeing me laugh, they would feel like I didn't care about them as much as I did. Sure. I don't know. I mean, that's just me being completely vulnerable yeah. right there. I, I don't know if that's normal or what. Yeah, no. And, and, and it is because we, you know, we, we put ourselves in their, in, in their shoes and depending on, you know, religious or spiritual beliefs too, you know, is that person watching over me? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's, there's always that question too, of, you know, what would, what would so-and-so want for myself? And, you know, so many times do you hear, well, they would want me to be happier. They want me to go to that event. They'd want me to, you know, to do this. And, um, to say that it's not appropriate. I mean, it, it, it's human and it's something's trying to manifest itself right as to why am I feeling this way um but no I mean thank you for sharing that I I appreciate Mm -hmm. that um you know to say specifically as far as like I said what's coming up is maybe it's just that theme of you know how how have I processed or dealt with guilt um you know in my life with this is it something else being triggered or pinged from the past possibly right mm-hmm. um but i always love that question though too of just you know honoring our loved ones or you know something that's past or you know what would they want for me mm-hmm. uh, you know 100% of the time is they would want the the best for me is they would want me to laugh in that moment and not feel bad about it and just to hit on guilt a little bit more mm-hmm. another thing that people will have, have guilt on as well as myself was the feeling that I could have done more. When I talked to the vet, they told me flat out, there's nothing else you could have done. This was just, this was happening regardless. And I'm sure people have felt the same over and over again. I could have done more. What else could I have done different? What's your advice when people tell you that? I think, um, well, one, you know, we call that hindsight bias is currently right now in the present, we can go back and say, I should have, could have, would have, you know, but I would say at that time, it's trusting ourselves that we did the best that we could do. We did the best that we could do with the tools that we have with a situation that was presented to to ourselves. So I think a lot of it is looking at that self-trust. Hmm. Um, I did everything in, in that ability as I, as I knew how to. Or, you know, looking back in those moments too, as I, I should have, as we, as we deal with even grief or even distressing events in that category of trauma too, is, you know, looking at the um, physiological response of fight, flight, and freeze. As I tell my clients, I say, your body and your mind were keeping you safe and that adaptive part of you kicked in and we need to honor that. Because, you know, right now in a different lens, we can go back and look at something of maybe how we would have handled it differently. But at that point in time, we need to trust our, our body and our, our nervous system that it responded in the appropriate manner that, that we, we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm remembering a conversation not to do with, with grieving, but it was similar. It was the fact that back in November, I remember Kristen was interviewing for a new job. And she was leaving a good job, but one that just wasn't working out well for her. And she's like, you know, what if I make the leap to this job and I don't like it? What if? A lot of what ifs. Mm -hmm. And I said, Kristen, like, 
you just got to remember we can both you and I can look back to this day and say, you are making the best decision for yourself with the knowledge that you have about this situation. And you can never, ever blame yourself for making this decision because you did what was best for you today, right here, right now. And she was like, yeah, no, you're, you're hundred percent right. With all the knowledge that I have about everything, she took the leap and yeah. uh, it's worked out really well for her. So <laughs> we're happy about that. But uh, yeah, sometimes it's hard for people to do when they're in, the, when they're in the moment where they're the ones involved, Definitely. it's hard for people to do, but it's also nice to get a reminder. Like, listen, you're making the best decision for yourself mm-hmm. right now. That's all you can ask for. And you'll mm-hmm. never look back and, you know, kind of get mad at yourself. Cause you're like, I did what I did, what I knew what was right at the time. And yeah. that's all that matters. Yeah. Um, and you brought up EMDR. What's EMDR? What is that? Um, so EMDR is, um, an intervention. So it's a modality of therapy that, um, typically I think as most people probably have heard it, um, described as it's used with trauma with PTSD. Um, but EMDR can also be used with anxiety, depression, grief. Um, a lot of times too, I see clients who maybe don't have a lot of significant distress currently, but they just feel like it's some residual, like icing on the cake. Like I just feel like there's something there that's preventing me from moving forward in my life. And I'd like to explore it. So EMDR is eye movement desensitization reprocessing. So what's different about EMDR than typical um, talk therapy, CBT, that kind of thing is um, we're, we're talking about the distressing event that has happened, but we're also opening up the right and left side of our brain that has held that memory, but also the the nervous system, how it's stored in our body. So you're opening up the, the, the total parasympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system along with processing that memory. So kind of a way to describe it would be as we have distressing events, it's almost like all of these memories in our brain, imagine them as being, you know, uh, branches. So when we have a distressing event that that happens is it's like a, a little branch that starts to grow off of that memory branch. So a distressing event could be somebody who is is giving a book report in the third grade and somebody makes fun of the, you know, the, the pants that they're wearing. That's that's a distressing event, right? Typically somebody would be able to to go on past that in their lives, but then they might wonder why I have a fear of public speaking mm. or, you know, why I have a fear of, you know, talking up in a work meeting or something like that. So it, it comes down to the core beliefs and the sense of self that we start to build at some of those younger ages. So we might find something as far as themes in our lives, you know, am I good enough? Am I worthy? Um, Am I safe? Am I in control? We see a lot of control with anxiety that we end up being able to look back onto. So with EMDR is we start to, um, it's an eight phase process. You start to kind of build um, some targets and some um, kind of a direction of what would we like to process. Some clients, maybe it's it's a memory. Um, some clients are pretty spot on about a specific event that has happened. And we go through and we use bilateral eye movements to open up that right and left side of our brain. So what we're doing is um, you're communicating between the amygdala um, which is kind of our alarm center of our brain. 
So when we have a distressing event that happens is our body goes into that fight, flight, or freeze response. So that memory is stored, but that um, response is also stored in our body physiologically. So we see clients as they bring up these events, feel it in their body, whether it's a tingling in their legs, a tightness in their chest, a pit in their stomach. Um, so we're releasing that part of the distress, that part of the trauma, along with talking and processing the event. Um so then it also opens up the hippocampus, which is kind of that safety danger part. And then our prefrontal cortex, which is our behavior part of our brain. Hmm. Um, so it's, it's really, it's really cool. It's a really cool, um, you know, in-depth intervention to where I've heard some clients say, well, isn't that the thing where you move the pencil? And I mean, that's, that's a way of doing it, but EMDR, you can use um, a light bar, you can use, we call them the buzzies. So it's there, there are buzzers that you hold out in front of you and it's activating the right and left side of the brain as we're processing that trauma. So going back to our body wants to heal itself. So what we're doing is we're going back to that memory of that moment in time that almost got frozen or stuck because we were scared or we had our fight and flight um, mode activated is we're going back to that and we're reprocessing it as our brain and our body should. This is reminding me very much of my conversation. I had an episode on last year about hypnotherapy. Um, are you a believer in hypnotherapy at all? Have you ever tried it? What are your I've thoughts on that? I've never tried it. I've had some clients have good experience with it. Um, the difference with EMDR and hypnotherapy um, is EMDR. We tell our clients, you have one foot in your, your, you know, one foot in this process too, and one foot in the memories. So they are also giving us signals of, um, you know, this, this is too much, or, you know, I'm not feeling enough. So with hypnotherapy is typically is that provider that is the one that is kind of leading them. The difference with this is we're working collaboratively as a team. Um, so the client has a lot of control also in, um, the type of memory, the, the, the speed of the memory, kind of what's coming up. Um, so I'm, I'm not super familiar. I guess about, um, hypnotherapy, um, I guess, as far as like, kind of like brain waves or kind of that activity is, you know, EMDR is, you know, you're, you're opening up both sides, you know, the nervous system and also, um, you know, our thought processes and our memories. So I don't know if hypnosis opens up that parasympathetic part of our, our brain and body. Okay. Yeah. Cause after I did that episode talking to both of them, um, I actually did a session. They, they wanted me to try a session. I said, yeah, yeah. because I have a really bad fear of heights. And, okay. uh, you know, speaking of, I couldn't, I couldn't do devil's bridge. I couldn't get up to the end of devil's <laughs> bridge up there in Sedona. So I'm yep. going to try to conquer that again. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've always had a fear of heights big time. And so they're like, okay, let's go ahead and let's try to get in there and let's try to try to remove this. I will say I did a recap episode. So anyway, can go listen to that. No, I won't, I won't dive too deep into this, but uh, yeah, it was virtual over zoom. I was like, okay, let's just, you know, I'm already skeptical as it is. Let's see what this is going to be about. And I would say one that is, I've never had a feeling like that in my own bed where I felt literally sunk into my bed. And we tried to get to the point, she tried to lead me to the point where we're, we're figuring out the whole heights thing. Mm -hmm. And I ended up going to a place that was the last trip that I took my dog. And that's mm -hmm. how I feel like I was still in the grieving process. Mm -hmm. And it tapped into something that I was sobbing 
like absolute, I was just crying so bad. She woke me up. I couldn't catch my breath. I was just crying so bad. And she's like, there's a lot of work here to be done. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember calling Kristen afterwards. I was like, I am so messed up right now. I, I, my day was destroyed. My weekend was destroyed because Mm -hmm. I got taken to a place where, it was so vivid and so alive. Then I got snapped back out of it. Mm-hmm. And to know that, you know, I was still back here without her and without my friend and all that stuff. It was just a very interesting and weird experience. I wanted to get rid of my fear of heights. It took me back to a place where yeah. I, I was still de- dealing with the grieving process. And that was very, very apparent. That was, uh, that was an interesting process. Yeah, no, <laughs> so. it sounds like it. Is EMDR based on like science? Yeah. So, so EMDR, um, Francine Shapiro, um, was, was the one who created EMDR, um, in the eighties. And, um, it's interesting story of how she came about doing this is, um, she went on a walk and she, I mean, she's, you know, psych psychological background. So it's just not a random woman who created this, but, um, she went on a walk and she was feeling distressed. So, you know, what do you do? I'll go outside, get some fresh air. And she started to scan right and left side of the street. And she noticed that, um, I felt better that she, she physically felt less distressed. So at that point in time, it was just the EMD at that point in time, just eye movement desensitization. So the right and left, um, I, uh, bilateral eye movements. And then the reprocessing part is something that was added on in, um, in creating that intervention also of the reprocessing of instilling positive cognitions instead of the, those negative core beliefs that we have about that specific distressing event or memory. Um, so that's that interesting part too with EMDRs. We're also reprocessing some of that negative and, and releasing and, and healing from that, but we're also instilling the positive cognitions um, again too. And it's, it's just interesting to have to, um, to kind of explain is most of my clients who've gone through it, just explain it as like, it's just something I just don't have to carry anymore. It's Mm. putting a memory on a shelf that we're not erasing that memory. We're not removing it. We can't, we can't do that, but it's more or less like, I just don't have to carry this and all of the emotional and physical weight that also comes with this. So when they think about that specific memory, they notice that they're called our SUD score. So our distress level isn't as high, but we believe that more positive or that validity of that cognition is higher too. So in a moment where maybe it was something I did the best that I could, that seems so much more believable than maybe just a mantra we tell ourselves every day. So it's like that removal. I just don't have that negative stimulus and response that comes with it, but the memory is still there. Is EMDR pretty common practice? Because I can definitely think of a few instances in my childhood that's jacking me up a little bit. So. I um, I, I, it is, it is. And um, with EMDR too, is if um, I would tell all of your listeners too, if they're looking into EMDR is to find um, somebody that is certified through EMDR. There's people that say that, you know, Hey, I do EMDR. I took this training on it, making sure that they're certified in EMDR um, to get the best, best treatment that you can. EMDR typically too can be done, you know, quicker than other, 
you know, therapy modalities. Um, I myself have done EMDR because again, too, I was just like, there might be some blockages. Let's explore this. But I really like that brain and body connection and just so much of our body wants to internally heal itself. So I don't know how to explain it other than even through my processes, I felt, um, I felt the distress leaving my body. It was a it was a pit in my stomach and through further bilateral movements that we did, um, I felt it in my foot, it flicked and we did further bilateral movements. And then I kid you not, it was my very last two toes. It went boop, boop. And then it was done is we searched for it. Hey, where do you feel that in your body? I don't feel it in my body and instilling the, the positive cognition you know, as you also see, it's kind of like all these memories that are coming up too. Is your brain again wants to heal itself? I imagine myself blowing out a candle. I don't know where that came from, but it was like my brain and my body are like, we're done. We don't need to do this anymore. It's finished. Let's blow it out. And and again too, and that that's my own personal experience with it. But you hear a lot of you know similar things where um, it just it stores itself in your body, and it's just something that just it doesn't have to be there when you give your body the opportunity to heal, it's, it's going to do its job. Well, all right. I want to look more into this. Definitely. <laughs> I, I would highly recommend it for so many people. Um, not even for any, like I said, just heavy trauma. It's, it's PTSD, depression, anxiety, grief, um, trauma. It's, it's amazing. I would all recommend right. everybody try EMDR because we all have I'm going to do that. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. I'm going to, I'm going to do that. And, um, just to kind of go back slightly a little bit to yeah. the whole grieving thing. Um, I think something you hit on earlier was I, without saying the word embarrassed, I think people might be embarrassed um, to go through grieving, to talk to people about it, to be open about it. Um, I remember the first episode we did, I called it like lifting the stigma. Yeah. And a lot of that probably correct me if I'm wrong is because of a stigma and yeah. so I have this like a three pronged question is, um, do you believe the stigma is still being lifted? Are we still heading in the right direction here? And do you believe that people are embarrassed and that is a problem? And just to dive a little deeper into that, do you feel that men are perhaps even more embarrassed than women? Cause we're supposed to be quote unquote, like the masculine, the the man, the strong man of the family. Yeah. Um, I know I would say yes, yes to all of the above. You know, the, the stigma is still very much so there um, as much as, you know, platforms and, you know, content creators, influencers, I mean, celebrities that talk about, you know, the, the benefits of mental health too. I still think there's that, um, whether it's shame or embarrassment of like, Oh, but I'm fine. But you know, you know, it, it doesn't impact me as much as it does. Um, definitely. I think that is there, um, with men, I'll say that's probably one of the more, um, kind of the, the biggest barriers that we do have in, in therapy too, is, you know, I have to be together for my family. You know, this is something where I just have to kind of put on this strong face and, you know, it goes back to, well, how were big emotions modeled to you, you mm-hmm. know, as a child, you know, you rub dirt on it, you get over it, that kind of thing. Um, 
you know, I, I heard it just the other day on a phone consult of, you know, people in our, our generation are, we're just soft nowadays. And, and, you know, is it softer that you're, you're more aware or that, mm-hmm. you know, we do want to heal or we see the benefits of this is um, yeah. Unfortunately that, that stigma is out there. I think it, it will to some context always be, um, which is unfortunate, but the more that you can talk more, the more that we can share experiences about it. Um, you know, if we look at the, not to get too much into social media, but if we look at those kinds of, you know, stimuluses that we're experiencing nowadays too, I mean, there's that facet of it that others didn't have back in the past too, that make it, you know, difficult to heal in a lot of ways. So, um, Yes, it's out there. <laughs> we try to do our best, you know, to spread the word and to share things that we can. And um, one thing I love about some of the younger generations that, you know, I see is they see the value in therapy. And I tell all of them, I said, you know, I wish that, um, you know, I said, I myself or for some of the older generations, I said, just imagine how much this is going to benefit you um, for, uh, you know, other obstacles or barriers that you're going to have in your life. You know, when I see a fresh 18 year old in my office coming to therapy on their own. It's just, um, it shows a lot of self-respect for the, for themselves that they want to heal. Yeah. It reminds me a couple of years ago when, um, my mom and dad were going through a divorce and that's really been kind of a flat out shitty situation to, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, the first thing I did was actually contacted my employer at the time and said, Hey, set me up with a therapist. Um, I need to, this is something I'm need, I'm going to need to tackle and yeah. I'm going to need help to figure this out because, um, I need to set boundaries, which didn't work very well. Thanks to myself, but, uh, yeah, learning how to deal with it, being caught in the middle of a terrible situation, still feel that way sometimes, but, um, yeah, it's, um, it's a good feeling knowing that it's more accepted option, and, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's an option. Like employers mm-hmm. offer it to, to people. Um, there's therapists everywhere. And now we can do therapists around the world, zoom calls, mm-hmm. FaceTime, all that kind of stuff. I guess one thing we need to be aware of, and I'm curious to get your opinion on this is perhaps people abusing the term mental illness, or yeah. I need a mental day or calling out of work for a week or two, because, have a mental excuse when it really isn't. Do you feel that trend is kind of picking up a little bit because it's such a hot topic now. Some people might be hopping on the train just to kind of abuse it and I guess treat themselves because of it. Yeah. Um, no, I guess like a roundabout way. I, I really think about that is um, it must say so much about themselves to where my mind goes to, you know, why are they abusing it? What's going on there? You know, what I mean? mm-hmm. you know kind of mm-hmm. coming to that of like, why would you abuse something like that? What does that tell you about the type of person or what maybe internally, you know, is, is going on? But, um, you know, I haven't heard so much of that. I could definitely see some people using that as, you know, the, the mental health days versus the sick days. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, hey, if, if it benefits you in some way, shape or form, you know, you're given X amount of days. So, you know, good for you, but I see maybe more, um, sometimes it's a lot of like 
content that's out there and it'll make somebody either spiral or really kind of second guess something that they are going through. So I've seen somebody, well, I come in and I have this diagnosis or I have this and you hear it a lot of, well, I must have OCD if it's, you know, I, I see these types of presentations. So that would be the only thing too, that I would say that can get misinterpreted if somebody, you know, WebMDs their, um, their symptoms. Now that would be something doesn't mean that they're necessary. They might be, you know, off key, not at all the case. Those are good, uh, good things to look at and be aware of, but it might not be that specific label. Then that person could carry that label around with them and, and keep saying that about themselves when maybe that's not the correct uh, diagnosis, or maybe that's not really what's going on. Um, so I, I guess I've seen that a bit more of um, maybe some misinformation mm -hmm. uh, and somebody being in a vulnerable place and taking that misinformation the wrong way. Yeah, it's certainly not my place to say what's true or what's not true. I'll <laughs> never be the, the judge on that. Um, it's just it's coming to my mind where athletes like uh, Naomi Osaka or Simone Biles or something yeah. will step aside and uh you see a lot of people bitch about that because you're like, one, they're getting paid Two, why are you taking these selfies on social media and posting all these, all this stuff for branding and, and awareness, but then you say you're mentally uh, drained or have a, you know, you're mentally having a tough time. You're stepping away from the sport. It's a tricky situation because yeah. you get some of that. I, I'm no one to say the pressure they're going through. Uh, I've never experienced that at such a young age, but at the same time, you know, you get what they're coming from. Cause they're like, why you keep posting on social media, all these swimsuit pictures and all that kind of stuff. It's like, you're asking for some of this too. So it's a, it's a really, it's a really tricky situation. It is. Yeah, it is. And, and so much of that too, as we recognize, you know, the lens behind social media is, is never the case. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think it's part of that too, is we put a lot of these, you know, individuals, I mean, even health professionals, right. As therapists to say, well, therapists have their therapists and we are, you know, humans too, as you put them on this pedestal as though, you know, they, they should almost be inhuman in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, and that's not the case. So, um, yeah, it's, it's mixed. I've heard a lot of mixed things about that too. Um, I guess one, one benefit that I think about is, you know, mental health is being, is being talked about on a, you know, grander scale and, you right. know, I'll take that as a win because that gives us more opportunities to, you know, share resources or perspectives that can definitely, if it touches one or reaches one person that was in a, you know, difficult situation, then that's, you know, the goal is met. So. Absolutely. And, um, just, I guess, kind of wrapping up the whole grieving thing is yeah. um, I, I think the thing that helps people the most, and I'd love to get your ideas or opinions on this is honoring them. You said honoring them earlier. Mm -hmm. um, I have an idea personally that I need to do better at because I've been so busy, as we mentioned, yeah. is, um, is in honoring her, I really, at some point, I don't have kids, but when I have kids, I would like to write a children's book using her as a main character. Mm -hmm. So her and her story and who she is and her name will live on. And that's like, to me, the coolest thing that could I could ever do is to read my kid a bedtime story about her with her name. I would smile every night I read that book. And that's something I want to do. Do you have any advice or perhaps even some really cool examples that people have done to kind of honor their loved ones? 
Yeah. Um, first of all, um, I can't wait for that book to come out. That sounds amazing. I gotta, um, figure, and, I gotta figure it out, but yeah, I will do it. No, but what a, um, uh, what a cool concept too. Of just, I think even it's, it's, I was reading your body language as you were sharing that and you could just see it. it's like the emotions and the memories and everything yeah. that comes with that. So that would probably be the biggest part too, is thinking about that person as whole, you know, emotions, like jokes that they may have said, you know, memories. And, um, you know, my personal experience, ironically, it's been a lot around food. I, I make certain, you know, things maybe around, you know, a birthday or a holiday celebration or a tradition. Well, this is what we always did for, you know, a grandma. I make my grandma's peanut butter cups every year for, for Christmas. It, it takes me a really long time, but it's something that we always had. Um, and when I was little, which actually made me think of this, when you said that when I was little, I would set aside a piece of cake. <laughs> or one of my grandparents on, on my um, birthday. And that was kind of our way of honoring them so that they could be there to help celebrate, to be a part of, you know, mm -hmm. singing that birthday song and everything. So um, I would just say, you know, when we think about honoring, it's, it's interesting that both you and I, you know, we laugh, we think about the happy memories. So do something that, that reminds you of them that, you know, you laughed about that was happy, a, a place, um, a trip, a, a recipe, a book, you know, just something that I think kind of keeps that tradition or that spirit or that person, um, you know, living on, that would be my, I guess, biggest piece of advice. It's like keeping yeah. that flame going. Yeah. I, I agree. It, it's, those are wonderful ideas. And I remember it was October 9th was the day she passed. And this last October 9th was the first um, anniversary of that. And so Kristen was like, Hey, let's go take the dogs and let's go hiking out in the mountains. Cause mm -hmm. you know, damn well, she would have loved that. Yeah. And uh, it was like a win-win all the way around. It was going to be a tough day, but I was with the people I loved. Yeah. I was with my dogs. We were doing something fun and we were doing something that she would have loved in, in remembrance. So something like that is just, it's absolutely wonderful. It's uh memories you'll have for the rest of your life. And, um, yeah, I've, I've gone through like the gamut of emotions just a little bit. You can see my eyes will water up a little bit. I, I did notice tell. that a few times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're human, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. the whole, the whole purpose of, of this, ep this, not just episode of this podcast in general is like being vulnerable and put myself mm -hmm. out there. I mean, I want to relate to people, you know, if I'm, if I'm like this because of my, my dog, I has 16 years, I can't imagine someone who loses a child. Yeah. I can't imagine someone who loses a sibling or a parent. I, I and not alone, not even that it's like people who lose in multiples, right. Families get ripped away. <laughs> if I'm, if, you know, if, if I was and am hurting like this because of that, like I said, I have a whole new perspective yeah. on what people are dealing with. So, um, Holly, you're, you're awesome. I, I can have you on once a week and there's so much more we can dive into. Um, before we wrap up, is there anything that you'd love to just leave people with on the topic of grieving? Yeah, I, uh, again, I would say don't attach a judgment to your emotions, feel them as they come up, have an outlet journal, talk with somebody if you need to, and help somebody help you by giving them some direction of what's going to help you grieve in that moment. Um, and give yourself time. That time. was be my biggest pieces. Yeah. yeah. Time. We're all on different timelines. So don't yeah. look at the clock. Don't look at the date. Don't count backwards. Yes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
Holly, where can people find you if they want to connect with you? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram um, at Empowering You Therapy. Um, and you can find me on Facebook, Empowering You Therapy, my website, empoweringyoutherapy.com. I'm located in Tempe, Arizona. For, for those of you that are in Arizona or North Dakota, those are the two states I'm licensed in. So I have to kind of put that preface. I have a lot of people reaching out to me. And unfortunately, I can only see those that I'm licensed in the state. So I hope to hear from anybody that has any questions, just feel free to reach out. That's a bummer because I would come to you way more often. <laughs> you go, how much is it going to cost for me to get you a North Carolina license? Yeah, I don't know. Whole different <laughs> licensing standard. Yeah. <laughs> ah, man, that's such a bummer. That'd be wonderful. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's uh, my fiance and I are looking to talk to somebody in, in a good way. It's one of those things where we want to go see someone to make sure we're handling things in the future properly before they become problems. Definitely. And uh, I'm super happy that I found someone who's a believer in that and that wants that. That makes me feel really good because I know I have somebody who's willing to put the work in with me. Yes. And I love that. I, I, I haven't had that before, so I absolutely love that. Um, but yeah, I'm going to link all your stuff in the show notes so people can scroll down, go ahead and click yeah. on it, follow you on Instagram, go check out your website. And if you're in Arizona North, North, or North Dakota, there's nobody better. There's no one better. <laughs> Holly, thank you. It's been a thank pleasure. You. You're the best. Thank you so much. Once again, thank you so much to Holly Esler for joining me on this very eye-opening and enlightening episode about grieving. Like I said, not the most fun topic to talk about, but it's very necessary and it's something that we all go through. And I know I am much better equipped to handle it now than I was before. So thank you so much, Holly. And thanks everybody for listening to this episode of the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. Don't forget to leave a rating and a review and also share with your friends and family. I know they would benefit from this episode and so many more. So thank you once again for listening and I will catch you next time on the Pursuit of Happiness podcast.